Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Boy, welcome to Not Real Art, series favorite art and culture podcast with your host Man One and yours truly Sourdough. How you doing, Man One? What's up? Doing good, doing good. Oh my god, just here, getting ready for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what uh, was your day look like? You're just hanging with me, I guess, huh? Yeah, we're hanging right now, but uh... worst day ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's all good. Happy to be here. Well, you have been very busy lately. Lots of lots of stuff going on. In fact, you had to cancel a trip. Yeah, this week because of stuff going on. Right. Talk to me. What's uh, what's new? Yeah, I mean, I'm just in a in a you know doing like always juggling projects uh, and trying to keep them all you know all up in the air at the same time. But you know, uh, actually, one of the things that's kind of on my mind right now is one of the projects that I didn't get. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I want to talk about this just because I think what I went through in this experience, I think a lot of artists go through and understand, and people deal with it different ways. And I got to see uh, from a firsthand experience, again, like how you can get yourself out of it. Yes. Or not. Right. And so I was kind of, you know, obviously this kind of stuff happens all the time where you know, you're, you're amped up, you get, uh, you get a, you know, someone, someone hires you for a gig or they offer you a gig or, or they're, they're going to buy a painting or whatever. And then it falls through and it's pretty heartbreaking for a number of reasons. Obviously you wanted the money, obviously it was a good, going to be a good project. Um, whatever the reasons at the end of the day, you're, you're bummed. And it's like, how do you get, how do you rebound from that? So sometimes it's really difficult, you know? And so I just had a situation. Human nature. Yeah, it's, yeah. Be disappointed, so, yeah. And so I just had a, a situation where, you know, we negotiated for a project for maybe a week or so, maybe even a little over a week. It came down to, well, for it came down to me and another artist being selected by this agency for, for this project. They asked me to to do a quick sketch just to seal the deal because um, the the client wasn't one hundred percent sure that they that I was the right artist compared to the other artist. The the last well, they liked my work and they were leaning towards me, but the last piece that would take it over the top was if I could create these characters that they were that they were thinking about. So, know? can I ask you a question real quick before yeah. you continue? So, yeah. I think sometimes it matters um, how these projects uh, come to you. There are, I think, credible and less credible pathways by which artists are approached for work. How are you approached for this project? How did they find you? Was this coming from a quote-unquote credible source? Of course, that's a great point because that's so true. Well, yeah, this was a total credible project. It came through my rep. Um, uh, Rick, artist rep, illustrator rep. I have an illustrator uh, rep, uh, okay. Richard Salzman, okay. Salzman International. Shout out to Richard. Yeah, hey, Richard. shout out to Salzman International. He's been repping me for. Got to get him on the show. Oh, he'd be great on the show. Yeah, we'll definitely ask him. And so it came through him. You know, this particular agency, you know, flat out said, 
like, this is what we're pitching to our client. We've pitched man one They're They love it. This is the money involved. This is the, the whole project. Like, is he interested? You know? So they were very clear about the terms. They, you know, they, they were very forthright. They were yeah. very, what we'll say, uh, even aggressive about getting you with this project. And usually they're not. Usually they're, it's more about, you know, exploration and questions and this and that. This time they were like, and you can tell they were on a deadline because they, that's usually what happens is they come at you with like, okay, we need this done. So this, we're already, you know, we're showing our hand, you know, this is what we, what we have to offer. So that's great because then, you know, right off the bat where you are with the budget and you can say yes or no to the project right off the bat, but then you can start exploring other things. So you know, Richard's great. He does a great job for me in terms of uh, negotiating, in terms of doing the whole back and forth with them. And uh, that's once, his job as your rep. Yeah, and and he does everything you know on the up and up. And once the terms are figured out and the kind of the contract is is being worked out, then he'll go ahead and have them talk directly to me uh, just about the creative. Sure. So I'll talk to the client or to the agency or whatever just about the creative and once all the business is out of the way or at least so, or at least being handled. Yeah. Right. It's not okay. always out of the way completely, okay, sure. but okay. so for, for example, in this, in this instance, everything wasn't complete, complete yet because there was still some, we, we kind of upsold them on a couple of different things. For example, instead of producing my work in a, in a digital manner, you know, I could actually paint it. So it, it could, it didn't have to be, Paint it on a canvas. Yeah, or on the building right, or whatever okay. they were yeah. going to do. And so that way, you know, that could uh, save them money on the printing, but also make it more authentic, et cetera. And they loved that idea. And then, so then that added money to the budget and things like that. You know, so after I'd say a good week, good solid week, if not a couple more days than that, of, of negotiations uh, with him and the, and, and the agency, actually the, the last day, of this negotiation, they asked me if I could do some spec work. You know, it was a quick sketch. Oh, shit, spec work. And so that's always a red flag. I hate doing spec work. You know, uh, Richard. As a rule, you generally do not do spec work, I generally as do I not. understand it. I yes. gen generally do not. Nine times out of 10, I won't do it. And by the way, let's just say this categorically, you know, bottom line very clearly for our listeners, like principally, ethically, uh, we do not endorse spec work. We advise against doing spec work, you know, nine times out of 10. There's always that one time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? And that, and that and you that, think is worth the risk. Right. And that's the thing. It's, um, that's the thing. It's, it's because there is a risk because I could say, you know what? I don't do spec work, period. And they could say, wow, that's too bad. We're going to have to pass then, right. you know, and we're talking, we're talking a significant amount of money at, on this project, you know? So it's not something that I'm going to take lightly. And so I told them, I don't like spec work. You know, is there any kind of budget you can give me? If, if, you know, they're like, well, we haven't landed, you know, there was the agency, so they haven't landed their contract yet either. So it'd have to come out of their pocket, which of course they don't want to, they don't want to do. They said, you know, yeah, can we just, you know, just do one sketch, pencil sketch, not even color, whatever. So I spoke to Richard about it and he's against it too. And he's like, well, what do you think? It's up to you. You know, he's like, we've come this far. We're so close but whatever you want to do. And so I made the decision to go ahead and do a quick sketch. I said, you know, it's not going to take me a lot of time. 
I'm not going to give them a lot of time and, and stuff. Just knock it out. Just knock it out and just get us to the next round, which is the final round, you know? And so I did the sketch and uh, they loved it. And they called me the next day and congratulated me and said, you got the project, right? You got it. I got the project. Okay. So they're like, cool. You know, so the, the agency called, I'm sorry. I just yeah. want to be, be clear. The agency in question called Richard back to say, man, one got the job. So based on the spec work, based on all the conversations you'd had, sounds like this was going on for several days, a week or more, that uh, indeed uh, you got the green light, you got the project, you were uh, verbally awarded the project over the phone. Correct. There was already paperwork being worked out. This happened on a Friday and we we're supposed to, you know, I had a tight deadline, timeline. And I what else is to, new? Yeah, right? yeah. So it's, I was supposed to start, you know, hit the, we were supposed to hit the road running on Monday. So over the weekend, there was a bunch of paperwork, you know, transferred back and forth. And everything on our end was done. We were waiting for their final signature and obviously their deposit, which was going to happen early the following week. Because they know I'm not going to start until I get the money, until I get the deposit. So everything was great, you know, and I was like, you know, they were, they were happy. We were happy. It was going to be a, you know, good, fun project. And so, you know, here, here's the, here's the thing that happens. Uh, here's the part where artists go crazy, right. And drives me nuts. So what are you supposed to do when you, when someone tells you, you got the project, here's X amount of dollars. And by the way, for the next two and a half weeks, you have to block out this whole chunk of time, right? Because you need this, we need to make this timeline work. And so that was my job the whole weekend was making sure I can, you know, free up all that time, moving things around in my sure. schedule. You had to clear the decks and make way for this project right. to get it done, to meet the deadline, which you were doing because they told you that you had gotten the job. Exactly. So Monday morning, you know, jazz to get started. I wake up in the morning. First thing I do, I check my email and there's this email that says, I'm so sorry from, from the agency. I'm so sorry. I hate to do this to you guys, but the client decided to go another route. Maybe next time we can work on something else. <laughs> and it's like a bomb being dropped, you know, imagine, I mean, that's the first thing I read waking up on Monday morning after having three days to think about what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know, for, for this project, thinking about, you know, I still have bills and, you know, rent and all kinds of other stuff to worry about. And now I'm, I'm obviously in my head figuring out how that's going to work. And, you know, all those things you think about as an artist, when you get a project like this, and then all of a sudden you get this bomb, you know, this bomb dropped on you saying, by the way, you know, you, you have, z you don't have the project after all. And thank you very much, you know? And fuck so you very much. Yeah. And it, and it's one of it's, it's happened before. It's not the first time this has happened, but it usually doesn't happen after they've already told you yes, you know? And now it was verbal. It wasn't, there was no contract signed by them. So I couldn't go after them for like a kill fee or I couldn't go after them for anything else. Right. You know, we were just left like, what the fuck, right. you know, you know, even, even my rep called me back. Just, he literally called me and said, I just want to commiserate with you. Cause like, 
Yeah, he was he was uh, hurt by this too. I mean, he yeah, was he, offended, and, 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 offended, and and well, and he was he was also blindsided by Blind, it. Yeah, right. Because right. he's like, you know, we we were as for all intents and purposes, we were already on well, the road. Well, from from his perspective, this was it's a done deal. Well, well, but I mean, this was damaging to his reputation too. Because, you know, he called you, right. they called him, he called you, right. he had been negotiating in good faith, so he thought, yeah. you had been negotiating in good faith, so you thought, turns out the agency wasn't negotiating in good faith. And to prove, to prove that, exactly what you just said, he's like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what we can do, and there's pretty much nothing we can do. And I said, well, I did do a sketch for them, you know, not that, that they're going to pay me that much for a sketch, right. but, you know, there's something, there's something maybe, a, right. a, you know. And so he's like, well, let me see what I can do. So he he contacted them and told them, you know, well, you know, he did do a sketch in good faith and blah, blah, blah. You know, it'd be nice to at least, you know. And their reply was, no, we're not going to pay him for his sketch because he there was no contract signed at the time. And he did it as spec work. And at the end of the day, he didn't get the job. So, no, we don't owe him anything. And that even pissed him off even more because now he's like, you know, at least throw a fucking bone, right, you know, right. because you've already courtesy. a courtesy, you know, yeah. just throw me 500 bucks to right. say, you know, fuck right. you very much. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, once again, this is why I, I don't want to do spec work this is why I hate doing spec work. But I knew at the time when they asked me, I knew that if I would have said no to that spec work, they would have just at that moment said, you know, never mind, we're going to go with the other artist. So it was a gamble I took. And at the end of the day, I still got screwed over, you know, so it still didn't work out. So we had a long talk after that. And my rep said, from now on, it's, it's 100% of the time, no spec work. Like we don't care from now on, because at the end of the day, you know, like I said, nine times out of 10, I don't do spec work, but that one time maybe well guess what it doesn't work out even when you think it works out so i think it's a better it's a better deal just to have this 100 percent no spec work ever on any conditions because then you just don't have to worry about this it's a mind fuck afterwards yeah. you know so that was that was the business side of it and the part of you know being an artist and and you know getting checking all the boxes jumping through all the hoops and being told you got it and then it, it being snatched, you know, from you, you know, so that's all the heartbreak and all that. But the more interesting part for me was, was what it did to me kind of like just, I guess, emotionally, spiritually yeah. after that, you know, which before when this happened, stuff like this happened, you know, I never really sat and thought about that stuff. I just like went through whatever I went through, moved on, whatever. But this time I was I, I was I was actually very very conscious about what was happening to me, and I noticed that obviously the first thing that happened was depression, you know. It was like I got super depressed, and and I'm not one that usually gets depressed, but because of things that were going on in my life, because of like this was coming at the right time for right. me. Um, the money was was perfectly timed. Everything I mean, yeah, was was yeah. going to work about it. Right. Um, it was a project I wanted to do. You know, there was all these positive things about it. So you, usually it's like, ah, oh, fuck them. I don't, I don't care about that project anyways. Well, this one, I, because of all these things that were aligned, I was kind of counting on it. Yeah. And so I got very depressed. I noticed that right away. It was crazy because 
since I was so conscious of it, I was like, okay, obviously I don't want to stay in this depressed mood, but I have to, you know, I have to go through the the process. You, know, you can't just, you have to go through the process of, of, of whatever, you know, if, whether it's depression or mourning. Or stages or of grief. Stages of grief. All, you know, <laughs> yeah. you got to go through it. Yeah. But I, I, I literally told myself, how quickly can I get myself out of this? Sure. And what can I do? And that was the thing that um, I don't always really internalize and really like um, think about as it's happening. Usually I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, that's what was happening. But this time I was very present. And so I was like, I don't want to stay depressed. I don't want to stay in this mood. How can I kickstart all this stuff? And so, so I did. I decided to do a bunch of things, you know, and, and, it, and it was very interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not into drugs or, or alcohol or anything like a lot that. Of people, a lot of people would have gone to a medical marijuana dispensary. Yeah. Right. A lot of people would have gone to a, to a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not because I saw that moment. Like if you have some kind of addiction, if you need some, if you need that in your life, and I know a lot of artists do that, this would have definitely been one of those moments. Yeah. A triggering know? event. A triggering event. You know, I was like, well, that's not what I'm about. So, you know. You know, thank God I'm not, I'm not into that kind of stuff. But what can I do positively? You know, so I decided to just turn myself around and figure out a way to, to get myself out of it. You know, I kind of did. You know, it did. It, it took work, and it took me putting stuff out there, um, to, to just. It's almost like I put myself out there to kind of ask for help in a way, or to just. Um, explore what's available, my options. Eventually some positive things ended up happening later in the week. If you would have asked me Monday morning, like, you know, where am I at between, you know, one and 10, I would have been like, I'm a one. And there was, there was, I, I didn't see a way out on Monday morning. I was like, I'm screwed. You know, like, I don't, I don't even know how I'm going to get out of this. And if you asked me on Friday of that week, I was feeling great, you know? And a lot of things happened that worked out on other fronts, things that I wasn't even expecting happened. And I think it all, it all happened because I had faith in the process. I put myself out there and I didn't give up, you know? Well, you know, it strikes me that what you had was emotional intelligence because you had the self-awareness and the self-respect and the self-love yeah. enough to allow yourself to actually kind of sit in the anger, sit in the the sadness and the disappointment and everything. And you, you didn't beat yourself up and you didn't try to self-medicate and you didn't try to, you know, just deny or leap, leap, leapfrog over your feelings. Like yeah. you let yourself kind of recognize, like, I feel like shit right now and this is why, but I'm going to like try to get through this. And you, you loved yourself through it and you opened yourself up you right to 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 goodness and to positivity and to new opportunity right. you know and and you a lot of people would want to get through that like they'd want to go to the bar and get drunk or go to the dispensary and get a j and just like try to deal with it in the moment you know instant gratification kind of stuff and you know you you sat in it and you took you were patient with yourself and it took a few days yeah. but you turned it around and that's you know i think that says a lot about well it says a lot about you because you know i've known you a long time and you've always 
been a very positive, mature, uh, intelligent person, but it's, it's hard. I don't care who you are. Right. Yeah. I mean, having those few very human, it's, it's totally human to be hurt and angry and, and totally fair to be, you know, mad and all that stuff, but to be able to, you know, learn from it, you know, grow from it, learn from it and, and be better, be, be, be bigger and stronger from it. Uh, is 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 really I think the lesson here, right? For other artists, because you know I don't care if you're an artist or not. I mean, if you're in business, you know you're gonna get blindsided by yeah. stuff. You know things are gonna happen. You know you're not always gonna get the contract. You sometimes you won't be able to make payroll. Sometimes you will have to fire somebody or let someone go or what have you. And if you're a caring, empathetic, emotionally intelligent person, those things are gonna be fucking hard to do. You know, and that's just on the human level, right? I mean, everything is there's so much about what happened to you with that project that we could unpack and talk about right. that, you know, I, you know, cause I'm, I've had similar situation. I mean, I had a similar situation, you know, it was a contract we were negotiating for six months, yeah. you know, and, um, it was with universal studios, right? It was a huge project. And, um, after six months of good faith negotiation, so I thought, right. The contract uh, didn't uh, didn't happen, and I had a very you know I was like you I was depressed I was oh, yeah, you I know, a lot of stuff I remember him. and 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 the one of the one but one of the lessons that I learned in that for me myself and I anyway is that um, is there a way because they're not going to sign an NDA they're not going to sign a, a contract right out of the gate right. And yet, as a creative consultant, as a creative professional, as an artist, what have you, you know, you have to close the deal. And to close the deal, you have to give a lot of your own thinking, your own ideas, your own IP away to say, entice the client into signing the contract or to win the project or whatever. So you're giving away goodness that you're not getting compensated for. So is there an opportunity to sign some kind of letter of intent? Right up front, one page, super simple, that says, you know, we're going to negotiate in good faith. If you don't sign the contract, all the IP remains with me. And if there's, if you cancel, maybe there's a fee or there isn't, or if you, if you do sign the contract, then obviously it's all rolled in or whatever. But I think for me, it's, it's about the, it's, it's about knowing they can't take my ideas and run with them without me. So that it's that simple letter of saying, this is, we're going to negotiate in good faith. The IP is mine. If you don't agree, blah, blah, blah. Now, is a big company like Universal Studios with all their lawyers going to sign something like that? I don't know. There needs to be, uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that, yeah. that you shouldn't figure out ways of protecting yourself as a business person, as an artist, so on and so forth, as a human being. The other takeaway, <laughs> I and you and I have talked a lot about this over the years, but I'm done working with brands. Done. I've been screwed so many times. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. I know you might know this, but but for those listeners who may not, so you know, my I got a you know I got my start as a graphic designer in 1988 in Chicago, working in advertising and marketing and for consumer brands. And so, you know, they sort of refer to it as the marketing services industry. Well, you know, working with brands over the last 30 years has changed hugely. Okay. I actually remember back in the day, there was no spec work. There was no such thing as spec work. Really. Spec work, as I recall, spec work started happening 
what started happening was, um, and I think the computer, because see what happened was, you know, the desktop publishing and Mac and the Mac and the Apple democratized creative services in a way that allowed independent um, designers or a lot of designers to go independent. So they worked at Leo Burnett for 20 years and then suddenly they could get a computer at home and they could work from home and start a little cottage, you know, industry, you know, and, and what ended up happening was small agencies started popping up. And so to compete with the big agencies, you know, they started offering spec work. Well, we'll do, you know, we'll give you a little, show you a little leg, you know, give you a little concept here and there. Right. Well, well, clients started <clears throat> clamoring onto that, you know, and it kind of expecting it, you know, and then when the, and then I think, you know, cause you're, I mean, cause look, I mean, to win the con, to win the project you are, you do have to show some thinking and show some concepts and stuff, but you know, bigger agencies have, you know, maybe less to lose, um, or they, you know, they have, they can afford the risk or maybe who knows what kind of relationships they have, um, with those clients, you know, they have big lawyers too, that help protect them and what have you. But anyway, the point is, is that the, as smaller independent shops, you know, started opening up, I think the growth of spec work, you know, really spiked. And so now clients expect it and, and ask for it. And it does put artists and and creatives in a difficult situation. I, I think, you know, the the reality is nothing's going to change until artists and creatives as a whole say no to spec work, like no spec work. Yeah, you know, and because it's got you know you got to like shut it off right on the supply side at the source. You know, I mean, you think that's feasible in in this day and age where. Everyone has an iPad. Everyone has a computer. Right. Well, Everyone's it's even worse than that. It's worse yeah. than that because the reality is just like technology devalued music. You think about what Napster did, right? I mean, there's this whole generation of kids that didn't think they should pay for music, right? Right. Why should I pay for music? Well, that's why now musicians can only make money on the road. They don't make any money off streaming. They don't make any money off sales of records. SoundCloud. Yeah, right. <laughs> Shout out SoundCloud. And so um so the te- so so yeah. So yeah, technology disrupted, you know, uh, in an industry, but was it for the better? I d- I don't think so, not for artists. And so and but this has happened then on the creative services side. Okay? Look, true story, okay? I worked for a while at a global publicly traded agency called Anthem Worldwide. It's owned by Shock. They're based out of San Francisco, but they have offices all over the world. Actually, maybe now they're based out of uh, Toronto. But the point is, is that I was talking to a colleague there a while back, you know, old friend. And this is a, to keep in mind, this is a global publicly traded company with offices, I think 30 offices around the world. They work with the biggest companies in the world, Pepsi, Coke, you name it. I was talking to this person and they were saying that it is taking them one year to get paid oh, on wow. their invoices. Damn. Okay. Now there's all kinds of reasons for that we won't get into, but the, but but, the, but my point is that working for brands, no matter your size, is problematic. It's problematic these days. And there's a lot of reasons why working with clients and brands is a dysfunctional, abusive, stressful uh, dynamic. You know, I'm saying all this to say that I've gotten to a point where if an artist were to ask me, 
you know, what I think about working with brands or what have you, this is what I would say. I would say, fuck that. Don't bother. The only way I think an artist now should work with a brand is if that artist is working directly with the VP of marketing or the CMO of marketing or the CEO of the company, working with the person who writes the check, working with the person with the power. Because in your situation, what happened was, I'll tell you what happened because I know exactly yeah, how it works, world, right? Yeah. yeah. Because the, and in a lot of this, of course, is, is in terms of your situation, you, you could kind of see it from hindsight, but like typically the way these things go, right, is that what you don't know as the artist is that that agency hasn't even secured that account yet. Oh, yeah. They're just pitching. They're hoping sure. to win it. Right. And what they're doing is they're probably showing three different concepts to the client. Three different um, artists. With three different artists or three different, totally, maybe totally different routes or different things. But right. but they don't know what the client's going to choose. But as far as the, they're concerned, they have to amp you up because they want to make sure you're on board. So they're pumping you up thinking like it's going to happen or you're the guy or whatever. And at the same, but the, the truth of the matter is they haven't even locked it in yet. And, and, and listen, I've been, I've been both on the agency side and I've been on the brand side. I have worked, you know, in a corporate brand in, environment. And I will tell you that, you know, when you work in a corporate environment, you can't imagine until you work in that environment, you can't imagine how dysfunctional and crazy <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are so many reasons why a project does or doesn't get done or agency does or doesn't get hired or an artist doesn't, you know, that you can't even imagine. It's not rational half the time. It's, you know, po oftentimes political, sometimes dysfunctional and unfair and all this stuff. So, I'm saying that to say that being an agency these days, I mean, I, I basically worked on the agency world for 20 years right. and, 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 and I'm done. I'm done with it because it is hard work for little money. It's dysfunctional. There's no loyalty on the brand side. It's dog eat dog because to your point, it's a commodity. Now when you have, I forget the website, I want to say logoworks.com, but you can go to logoworks.com, whatever the website is, and get a logo designed for, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something, right? They have different packages and you can, you know, different, different things. But, and apparently, according to their website, some of the biggest companies in the world use them. Coca-Cola, um, Pfizer, you know, whoever else. And when you're competing when you're an artist or an agency trying to work in an environment where what you, the services you provide are commoditized and, and thought of as a commodity, you know, and they're, they're, they're just trying to get the lowest, the most for the, for the lowest amount of money, right. you know, that's a lose, that's a losing situation. And I know that there's a lot of mythology around why, an artist wants to work with a brand. Oh, it could lead to bigger things. And if I work for Coke, I'll maybe I'll work for Red Bull or I'll do this. And, you know, like there's all kinds of ways we rationalize, you know, and at the end of the day, artists, you know, they, they want their art to be seen and they want it to, you know, sometimes not even about the money. They just want, you know, but the reality is though, those, those, it's called myth for a reason. Nine times out of 10, those jobs don't 
lead to bigger opportunities. A lot of times, you know, there is no loyalty. That client doesn't call you back for all kinds of reasons. And so it ends up just being a, a falsehood, you know, and, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm just at a point now where I personally want to get as far away from working with brands as possible. I would advise artists to, unless they're working directly with the brand at a high level and are comfortable with how they're being treated. Because if you're being disrespected, or if you're not comfortable, if your intuition is telling you that this is something is not healthy about this or fair or whatever, then you shouldn't do it. But but realistically, I mean, come on, you think a brand is going to reach out to an artist directly ever? Yeah, it can happen. It's rare. It's, it's rare. super rare. It's super rare. And and but see, look, and part of the reason I say that is because when I so there was a time uh, I helped open a studio. And it was a London-based consultancy um, that was opening a Chicago studio. And I helped open that studio. And then I opened the LA studio. But And I was very successful in terms of growing those businesses in Chicago and and, and, uh, in LA. But the secret to my formula, really, in terms of success was that I always called the CMO or the VP, like I went to the highest level, right? And to to have that direct relate, you know, because basically you want to be as close to the checkbook as possible. Of course, yeah. And so, you know, so anyway, so so I have my reasons for thinking that. But the point is, is that to your point, yes, I mean, artists are going to get called by agencies all the time. They're going to get called, you know, because that's typically, you know, brand is going to call the agency, the agency is going to call the brand. I mean, the artist. And and so, you know, so you're right. I mean, that's that's going to happen a lot. And artists just need to have a process by which they feel protected and feel like they can engage in a way that's comfortable for them that feels right. Because, you know, nine, unfortunately, I think majority is that majority of the time they're not going to get the project or if they do get the project, the money is going to be lean and mean. Well, you know, I'm I'm not at the point yet where I'm ready to sign off on agency work or brand work. It's kind of a love-hate relationship yeah. that I have with them. Right. In my ideal world, the only brand I'm working with is Man One. That's right. Yep. Right? That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to just work on Man One brand. <laughs> That's the brand I want to work on. But the reality is if I get a call, and I don't, and I don't usually go searching really for these projects. Um, they generally just kind of happen out of the blue or whatever. I, I, it's not like I'm actively – you know, calling Coke to try to get a gig with them or anything like that. So when they do come my way, um, you know, generally I have my rep kind of vet it, do all that so that I'm as far away from it as possible until until they need me, until we actually decide they want to do it. But even then, as as I just stated, you know, even then it could go, go wrong. But for me also being an artist and being someone who's doing murals, and someone who's doing canvas work and commission work, it's agency work, brand work is actually a good chunk of my income per year. Sure. You know? Yeah. Sometimes more than other years. Right. Sometimes less than other right. years. You know, it could be 10% of my annual. It could be 50%. Like, yeah. I never know on a given year. So but I can't, it's significant. But it's significant enough yeah. that I want to do it. And by the way, sometimes I'll get, you know, projects that don't, sound good or the money's not right or whatever and I'll just say no right off the bat so there is a dilemma there for me as an artist because it's like 
I can't just say I no, I don't want to do brand work. Right. You know, it's not that that cut, cut and dry. Cut and dry for me. But there's this thing, how how do I manage it? How do I how do I keep working with it? Well, you know? I think, I mean, let me, you know, like look, I, I, you know, it is a personal decision. It's a it's a business decision. I think what I'm advocating for more than anything is that you're, you know, that artists are able to work with brands is, you know, in a way that protects them. You know, you've got your rep. I mean, but I think what's interesting about the story is that, you know, even your rep got blindsided yeah, on this exactly. one you know yeah. what i mean and That's so, not the case. so and then this process is meant to protect you right your rep protects you and he yeah. you know handles the business and you know and so this this i mean i think look i think this is an anomaly you know i mean this has happened all the time but it does happen a lot and i and quite frankly though i think part of what this is is that you know i think artists are being called on more and more by brands so it feels like artists are feeling this for the first time. Like it feels like it's happening all the time because it's happening for the first time. If you know what I mean, you know, look back in the day in the nineties, late eighties and nineties, there was a, there was a fine line. I mean, I mean, not a fine line. There was a real line between commercial art and fine Fine art. art. Yeah. Right. And, and if you were an ad agency or a brand, you were working with photographers or illustrators or copywriters or, you know, other kinds of creatives that were getting hired. They didn't care about having their name on the work. It was for the brand. It was for the ad. It was for the campaign. It was for whatever. And fine artists or artists, quote unquote, were busy doing their arts and trying to sell in galleries and, you know, get, you know, that kind of thing happening. And then over the last 25 years or more, as brands have tried to embrace authenticity or cultural relevance or, you know, what have you, and, you know, and, and, you know, I think, you know, tools have democratized creativity in many ways. And, you know, there's, you know, I think there's probably a lot more artists out there maybe now than there were 30 years ago. And also so, the failing gallery system. Well, and the failing gallery system. That's right. So, so now artists are having to fend for themselves in many ways that they, you know, did, weren't, didn't necessarily have to maybe before whatever. But, but, but so I think what you have here is you have, you know, a trend, you know, you have this new reality, right? Where, um, before it didn't happen, you know, brands didn't work with artists in an overt way like they do now for street cred and for that halo effect that comes from working with a, you know, world-class artists like you, the cool factor, brands want the cool factor, and artists are the new rock stars now and the new cool kids now. And so brands want that, that halo effect, you know, but the reality is just like the gallery system was kind of dysfunctional. The, the, the brand agency model is dysfunctional. You know, it is a, it is an abusive, <laughs> dysfunctional relationship between brand and agency. I can tell, I can speak to that personally having been in that world for a long time. And so it only, it only makes sense that the relationship between the agency and the artist is going to be dysfunctional. Right. And that's garbage in garbage out. And and that's why I think the goal for every artist right now in this time period, right. Or most artists, I should say is create your own following, sell directly to your own people. Right. And, and control all your IP. Couldn't yeah. always control your own IP. And no. so what what happens though, if you do that successfully, is galleries are gonna try to get you on their team. Brands are gonna come and want to work with you, you know. And so that's where you know, so it, it's a it's a crazy uh, time we're living in right now because there's two ways of doing it, right? Like there's artists who are trying to get into the brands to to grow that way or trying to get into certain galleries to grow that way. 
but then there's artists who are trying to neglect all that stuff and do their own thing, their own path. Right. But then that attracts the galleries and that attracts the brands. Some artists don't want to go that route. Some artists do. And so it's just, uh, there's no right way, one way of doing it. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. And there's, it's very nuanced and every situation is a little bit different. And by the way, artists, <laughs> for the most part, you know, hope springs eternal with artists. You know, yes, I know a lot of artists who are just cynical, pissed off, angry, depressed people, but but there is some core of optimism and hope in every artist I've ever met. And and so, yeah, when somebody's waving a carrot in front of your face or if someone gives you a frog and tells you to kiss it, it might be the prince or princess you've been waiting for. You know, God damn it. You kiss the frog, you know, and um, so it is complicated, you know, but 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 the other thing that's interesting about this conversation, right? Have you, have you ever heard the phrase sunlight is the best disinfected mm -hmm. right you know right yeah, so yeah, that right. so exposure transparency yeah. right it sort of cleanses <laughs> right. right so if that's true at all what i find interesting about this conversation is that and about many conversations like this is that artists and people talking about it are loath to call out the agency or the brand specifically right 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 so we didn't we you know i know the agency that we're talking sure. about yeah and by the way like you know we should maybe say the name of that agency, right? <laughs> but we're not, yeah. right? Because, and why aren't we, right? Because they fucked us. Like, what, what, why are we being loyal to them um, when they weren't loyal to you? Why are we showing them the respect they didn't show you, you know? So I think part of this, you know, part of the debate, part of the conversation is should artists be, um, start calling out these, these agencies? Because what happens is like, Sometimes the brands get called out. You might mention, you know, I mentioned Universal Studios, you know, very specifically. Well, you know, it's not going to matter. I yeah, mean, I at the end of the day, yeah. you know, the agencies that do these, these artists, you know, I, I again, not necessarily a, an easy thing to do, but I think easy answer here. But there's part of me that absolutely wants to call bullshit and, right. and name names well, because the, the, how the, else is it going to get resolved well, if you don't shame people? Right. And the reason I don't want to call out the agency uh, specifically is because at the end of the day, I don't really know what happened. Sure. You know, point. like, like it may have totally been they screwed it up for me or it may have been that the client totally screwed. According to them, obviously, the, they're, they're course, blaming the client, the client yeah, right. and the client decision. And that may be 100% true. So I don't want to. I don't want to call them out on that for that reason, you know, but I also think it's, it's more important, the bigger picture that it's more of a systemic thing. Yes. You know? And so whether I call out this agency or mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. it's kind of irrelevant because it's going to right, happen right. with any other agency. Well, so, and so yeah, absolutely it is a systemic thing. And, the, and this is, I want to reiterate what I was saying a minute ago, because, you know, when I was talking about not wanting to work with brands anymore, not wanting to work with agencies anymore, and me advising artists not to do that, really, that was coming from such a personal place because I personally know, don't want to work in the, in the uh, uh, marketing services space with brands from an agency perspective anymore because I personally know how disrupted and how it was always maybe a bit adversarial. I mean, you're the client and you, you know, you're trying to make the client happy and they're, they expect you to do what they want and, you know, cause they're paying you whatever. That's always kind of been the case when you're in the client services world, but, but it has become so dysfunctional 
and there's no loyalty and there's no, you know, and, and it's so commoditized and I've been down this path. I know how the story ends or, or where we're at right now. And I can tell you it's been better and it's bad right now. And it's getting, I think it's been getting, it's not getting better. It's been getting worse. And so me personally, I'm just saying like, like it is, a, it is a mess. It is a systemic problem, yeah. you know? And so the, the corporate cl- uh, client, Agency relationship is dysfunctional. It only makes sense that the agency artist relationship is going to be dysfunctional. Let me give you an example of how like crazy sometimes things are. When I was at one particular, uh, well, just I was uh, head head of brand strategy, one of the directors of brand strategy at uh, Kaiser Permanente for a few years, and um, we launched the Thrive campaign, which won a ton of awards uh, in the healthcare space because it was um, really innovative uh, for healthcare marketing. And so, being part of the brand strategy team, you know, I got to hire agencies. And what was interesting for me was that I had been on the agency side for years, for 15 years, and then I jumped to the client side. So, suddenly I was doing the hiring. You know, I wasn't trying to, to, to get hired, I was, I was hiring. And so, and I had a lot of empathy for agencies. I was pro- I was probably a damn good client to have because I knew I'd been on yeah. that side of the fence. Yeah. And so, but and you know, you think about the core drivers of of the dysfunction, core drivers of the systemic problems that we're talking about. Right? There's all kinds of drivers. Right? For example, one of the drivers. See, back when I started in the late '80s and the '90s, budgets marketing budget sat in the marketing department. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the marketing VP or the CMO, whatever, they they could manage their checkbook and, you know, well, in what was the Enron thing, right? Enron gave us Sarbanes-Oxley, right? Which was government getting in, creating policies to try to prevent from another Enron from happening. Okay. Well, as a practical matter, what that meant on the corporate side is that corporations started creating these procurement and supply departments that were responsible for managing the purchasing and in the budgets of that organization. So so as a way of helping to stop corruption or stop fraud or whatever the case is. And so what happened was um, the marketing budgets got moved away from marketing to procurement and supply. And procurement and supply doesn't give a shit if you're talking about paying and hiring a high-end agency or if you're buying paper clips. They are still, they are handling it in the same way. They, you know, it's a widget, it's a widget, it's a widget, they don't care. And so it is such a complicated thing. So at Kaiser Permanente, we had this procurement and supply thing. And so the way it worked there, for example, was that if if I was hiring an agency and the project was, had a, it was a $100,000 or less, Okay. I could sign that invoice. I could sign. You can make that decision. I could make that decision. As soon as it was 100,001, I had to kick it over to procurement and supply. And what that meant was it was going to be a six month process. This is just, I'm just saying this because this is just one example of how things happen in the world that causes chain reaction of bullshit, that causes new policies and new realities, you know, in a, in a, in a business environment 
that helps to feed dis- dysfunctional kinds of um, systemic problems that inevitably impact people's lives. And and in this particular case, we're talking about a dysfunctional relationship that that cl- that, that clients have with agencies and agencies have with brands. And there are so many reasons why. Right. That happens that, you know, to to our point earlier, that's why there's in, in many times no simple answer. You yeah, know, for it's super complicated, super complicated, <laughs> you know, and then now you have artists who have to navigate that space a lot of times on their own. Right. Exactly. With no help. With Luckily, no help. I have a rep, but not I'm not going to say every artist has a rep. Right. Probably most don't. Right. A friend of mine worked in the music licensing space and um, he was doing a deal with Google. Long story short, all he, the deal he was doing with, with Google was with YouTube and all he really wanted was the right to put Google's name and YouTube brand on this project. Okay. Now Google had approached them about this music licensing technology that they had. There was no money being exchanged. It was going to be a game-changing project for this small company, my friend's small company. Google loved what they were doing, and it ended up being huge for them because he ended up selling the company and making a lot of money, and it was great. But this deal was pivotal for him in terms of setting the company up for a sale, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so remember, there was no money being exchanged here. Right. They wanted him and he just wanted the right to use their name. Guess how many lawyers <laughs> oh, had to sign off on that contract? Well, don't guess. I'll tell you. Yeah, anyway. 15 lawyers. Yeah. 15 lawyers had to sign off on the deal. It took damn near a year for that ha- to happen. Right. right. Now, you know, this is, again, just an example of like how artists can beat themselves up. They can blame other people. They can get angry. And, and and yet it is so beyond them and so beyond anything that's personal or so beyond anything that they can affect. Right. That don't waste your energy and time beating yourself up or being, if you can, yes, you could be disappointed. very human, but like in your situation to bring it back around, like to have, to have the self-respect, self-love and emotional intelligence just to sit in it and go like, yeah, this is life. And what I want to the the point about that is yes I I sat with it and you know went through all the emotions whatever but what pulled me out of it or how oh, I should say the way I pulled myself out of it really was I thought about it this way I said what can I do you know all these things you just mentioned are out of our hands right you know these yeah. these decisions by the agency by the brand they're out of my hands I can't do anything about it I said what can I do. And as an artist, the only thing that I know how to do is to create. And so I decided to create something. Mm -hmm. And creating isn't just a physical item. isn't just a painting. Creating is also creating the space for people to come into your life. It's also creating an an attitude. Uh, You know, there's there's a lot of different ways to create. And so that's what I focused on. I focused on what can I do to create something today, tomorrow, the next day that's going to bring some positivity into my life and all that. And that's that's what pulled me out. I decided that I was going to be a creator, you know, and not worry about the things that I don't have control, you know, over. But the only thing I I have control over is being able to create. 
that's what got me out of it. And I think if there's there's artists out there who get depressed, who get down, who who you know decide to be numb to the situation, those things end up causing you not to be creative. And I think as an artist, if you cut yourself off to being creative, then you're you're basically you yeah. know not that's it. You're you're, you're committing done. you're done. You're committing suicide. So I think as an artist, you can always think, all right, I'm in a situation that how do I create myself out of it? Right. You know? And that's kind of what, that's, that's kind of been my, I, that's what I got out of this experience was that truly I can create myself and create my way out of it. And that's, well, that's uh, a, I that's think that's a huge, that's a huge point you're making because, you know, artists have that unique ability to create, you know, I mean, we all do, right. We all can create on some level, but but that's, you know, what artists do. And, you know, I think what you were saying is really powerful about, you know, creating the space, creating the mindset, creating the attitude, you know, because at the end of the day, like all we can really control is our attitude. Right. And you decided to create an attitude for yourself that allowed you to get to a point where you could turn negative into positive, positive, turn Un, you know, non-productivity to productivity and then eventually allowing yourself to get through this process and, and end up in a really, you know, positive place for yourself. Yeah. And I mean, if I look back on it, it still pisses me off. Of course. <laughs> I still, still want to call course. them back and, and tell them off. But the bigger point is that I learned from it and I'm able to apply that to the future, to future projects, to future dealings. And more importantly, you know, be satisfied that, hey, you know what? I, I was able to get myself out of this shit and out of this out of this way of feeling and continue with my career and move forward. So it's been a, a, a big week in terms of me being able to actually, you know, see this in real time. And it's it's, it's kind of cool. Right. No, that's great. <laughs> Well, my co-host with the most man one, unfortunately, we've exceeded the legal limit of our broadcasting <laughs> license. Yeah. So we got to wrap this up before the feds revoke our privileges. Um, I want to <laughs> remind our countless listeners around the world. I know that we have millions and millions of listeners to please be sure to give us uh, their social media love by subscribing, posting comments, liking and sharing this episode with their friends. And of course, we have our 24 hour hotline. They can always call to tell us what's on their mind. That's 888-NOT-REAL or 833, I'm sorry, 833-NOT-REAL or 833-668-7325. Give us a call. Tell us what's on your mind. All that said, we're out. Have a beautiful day, Mr. Man One. All right, Sourdough, we're out. Peace. Peace. Peace.